Last time I was up here, I, I preached a message on uh, why Christians suffer. And uh, the message that God gave me was, was similar. Uh, we're going to do something on uh, the sin of anger towards God, specifically from Christians. And uh, let's start with uh, prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for this church, and thank you for the work that you accomplished through this church. And God, I pray you'd help me tonight, fill me with your spirit, help me to uh, communicate the message that you put on my heart, help us, God, to love you no matter what, help us to serve you no matter what. So I pray that you, you bless the service tonight. And the fellowship that's to follow. And, and as our pastor said earlier, I, I pray for the Johnsons, Lord, that you give them a, a safe trip. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at some scriptures tonight. Uh, but the first one is Genesis 3.5. Uh, well, actually, I'll start Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, nor shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And Adam and Eve didn't know it at the time, but um, God, it was God's intention to keep Adam and Eve innocent. And this knowledge of good and evil that was uh, given to them when they fell, uh, they developed their own knowledge of good and evil. They developed their, their own attitudes towards good, and it's passed down to every generation. A lot of times we have our own, our flesh has our own idea of what's right and what's wrong that conflicts with God. And uh, who do you think was the first person in the Bible to be mad at God, to be angry at God? First person. King. That's right, King. So we have Adam and Eve falling in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 4, we have the first recorded man who's angry at God. It didn't take long, did it? Um, the problem for Christians is that when we serve God and obey him, a lot of times what happens is unexpected. We get more problems than we had than when we weren't serving him. And uh, that's the reason why a lot of Christians don't live for God. They like the man, but they don't like the plan. They like Jesus Christ, but they may not like the plan that Jesus Christ has for their lives. It's one thing to read in the Bible about how Jesus healed people and helped people uh, and fed people. It's another thing to actually get on the, the potter's wheel and let God mold us and shape us. And with that comes the temptation. 
when we serve God, there's a very real temptation to be angry, to get mad at him over one situation or another. Because God will flip things around. He'll change what we're doing. He'll, he'll, he'll move things around on us. Uh, he'll stop us from doing one thing. He'll have us doing something else. And it's not always easy. Uh, it's simply because God does exactly according to his will. And his knowledge is so much greater than ours. Isaiah 55, verse 8. says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So that right there tells us that eventually... Our will, our flesh, is going to clash with God's will, eventually. Now, I wrote down some, uh, some reasons why Christians would uh, get mad at God. And, uh, of course, they don't cover everything, but they could be problems from childhood, um, abuse, both physical and mental, neglect, abandonment, sudden loss of a loved one, Financial problems through no fault of your own. Persistent chronic pain. A lost love. Marriage that didn't turn out as expected. Loss of a job. Seeing a loved one suffer. Going to prison without doing anything wrong. And there's many, many more reasons. And most of the people I know have been through at least one serious problem in their life. One life-altering, and many of them have gone through multiple. And it's easy for that to crop up. It's easy for that to to rear its ugly head, for us to get bitter or angry against God. Now, um, let's turn to James chapter 4. First, I want to talk about one of the primary reasons why Christians get angry at God is disappointed expectations. In James chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye you know, you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. Uh, that's the right perspective. If God wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. And a lot of Christians will plan their lives <coughs> and they'll go ahead and, and go forward with something and hope that God's on board with their plans. Okay? And then when God changes things and God uh, inserts his will in their lives, uh, They don't like it, and there's anger there. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. A lot of Christians like to make sort of a contract with God. And they'll they'll say, God, you know, kind of in the back of their mind, they'll say, God, if you do this and this for me, I'll do this and this for you. We're, God, we're not God's employees. We're God's servants. In Job chapter 1, I'll read you some verses. There was a man 
In the land of Oz, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and very great households, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth? Pretty nice compliment, huh? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and is Jewish evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and will curse thee to thy face. <coughs> so most of us knows, know what happens. Uh, God uh, allows Satan to take away Job's wealth, his health, and his children. Now, we don't know what Job was expecting. Uh, you know, Job, like God said, it was none like him in all the earth. But a lot of Christians, if they were in those shoes, in Job's shoes, and they served God their whole lives, and they, they diligently obeyed and served the Lord, they may think in the back of their mind that God will let them have a cushy retirement. They may think in the back of their mind that God will bless them in this life, that God will uh, like multiply their efforts. Uh, we know what happens to Job, and uh, it's not exactly, it may not have been what Job had expected. To happen. We see uh, um, we see Joseph living a happy life with his father. Uh, he probably expected to just uh, help raise the livestock, be with his family, uh, but we know what happens there too. Completely unexpectedly, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And he finds himself in a foreign land. And, it, and I might have been able to make it through that without getting angry with God. Might. But then after he's in Potiphar's house, he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. He flees. And then he's thrown in jail. So think about it. This man, he... Through no fault of his own, he's sold into slavery. When he gets to his, his master's house, he's a good servant of all that he has. And then he resists the temptation of, of Potiphar's wife. A lot of people would expect to be blessed right then and there, right? A lot of ex- people would expect uh, uh, a good outcome. But it wasn't going to happen yet. Joseph wound up in jail. We see David fighting Goliath. One of the bravest things in the Bible, he went forward. He slew Goliath when no one else would. 
Um, what were his expectations? Probably thought maybe he was going to marry the king's daughter, like was what was promised. He probably expected honors, wealth maybe. That's not what happened. Two chapters later, he's running from the very man he helped. We can't expect things from God when we serve him, at least not right away. Now, Romans 8, 28. So all things work together for good, them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose and a reason for all these things. And we know what happens to Job. He received twice what he had before. He enjoyed a large family. Joseph would come to uh, becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man, would save his family from famine. David go, would go down as the greatest king who ever lived. But I wonder what would happen if uh, any of those three had decided along the way that they, they, they had enough and they were going to curse God. If they had just said, you know, I had enough. I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. I wonder if things would have been different. I wonder how many people God has set up for an exact same situation that God wanted to use for something great, but he couldn't. Because along the way, they broke down and they they cursed or uh, got angry with God and bitter towards God. When I was preparing this message, um, I went online and there was a you know Christian article on the subject, you know, anger towards God. And like a lot of articles, there's a you know comment section. On this particular article, there were multiple comments, and I kind of scrolled through them and I looked at each one. And each Christian, well-meaning Christians, they wrote about what they were going through and how they were upset with God and, and angry with God. And and some of it was heartbreaking. Uh, there was a woman who. Her, her mother had passed away. She was disabled. And her father was just diagnosed with a terminal illness. There were people who were facing bankruptcy. Um, people that were uh, uh, separated from their family. All kinds of things. But the one thing they all had in common, and I'm treading kind of light here, the one thing that they all had in common was that they were, they were focused completely on the problem at hand. They weren't counting their blessings. They weren't thanking, they weren't looking for the things. They weren't looking at the things that God had given them. Maybe some things that God had given them to enjoy. For example, if, if God came down today and he approached me, and he said, Mike, I'm going to take your life. I'm going to take you home tomorrow. Right? Kind of like what he did with Moses. He told him to get up to the mountain. He was going to. Take him home. But if God said that to me, there's two ways that could be handled. I can get bitter and I can get upset and say, well, God, I'm still relatively young. A lot of other people get to live to their 80 or 90. God, uh, I, I want to see my daughter grow up. God, I have plans for this or plans for that. You can't do this to me. I've served you faithfully. I've done this. I've done... That's one way. Or we, I could humble myself and say, God, thank you. Thank you for my salvation. 
Thank you for a loving family that raised me. Thank you for a beautiful daughter. Thank you for the freedom that I have in this country. There's, there's two different perspectives. We all have obstacles and we all have blessings. It's what we look at. I want to read a, a section from a commentary that I wrote down in my Bible. It's pretty good. From a commentary on the book of Job. Life is not all, life is not all hop, skip, and jump. Much of it is sag, bag, and drag. For those of us who have been very fortunate and have gotten off easily with less than our, our quota of pain and mourning, the book of Job is a warning. There across this ground where we walk, literally thousands of people who have hungered, mourned, and suffered for years, and then bled and died in poverty, pain, and misery. God has been more than merciful to many of us. Therefore, we should be quick to repent and confess our sins of griping, murmuring, complaining, and ingratitude as soon as they crop up on any occasion. That was good. I wrote that down in my Bible. So some Christians might say, well, why doesn't God just, you know, I understand God will give me grace through my problems and he'll help me. Why doesn't he just take the problems away completely? Why can't we all just be comfortable? Um, Ultimately, we don't know. It is on God's timeline. We know from the book of Revelation he's going to wipe away all tears. And all our problems someday are going to be gone. Any suffering we're going through is going to be finished. But I think as of why he doesn't do it right away, he's the holy God. And all the problems that we have in this world are, are the result of sin, collectively. From Adam and Eve to us. Every bad situation, I think, is, is a result of someone's sin somewhere. And if God just takes that away and removes the consequences and just lets us live in comfort, complete comfort and bliss, is he really a holy God? Problems make us think. Pain comes our way to teach us patience. Sorrow makes us sympathetic. Disappointment comes to humble us. And difficulties come to teach us to depend on God. Uh, so that's one thing. Disappointed expectations. Another reason why Christians might get mad at God aren't the problems they go through. Is Sometimes it's simply they think that they're right and God is wrong. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man child from the, a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, 
shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with, uh, with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. But Cain's anger came from just thinking that there was another way other than God's way. Cain would have known the correct sacrifice. He would have known what to bring. Uh, he would have known that God needed a, a, a blood sacrifice. Now, he might have brought his vegetables or his, his fruit, and, and he might have brought the best of the fruit, but uh, it wasn't the sacrifice that God demanded. And Cain knew it. He just thought he had a different way. We see Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. I'll just pick up in verse 6 and read it. Jonah was, was sent to preach to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, about their sin and that God was going to judge their city. And in verse 6, for the, word, uh, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by a decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. They let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger and we perish not? And God saw the works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in thy country? My country, therefore, I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious and merciful uh, gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, a great kindness, and repentancy of the evil. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And I'll skip down. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might shadow over his head and deliver him from the grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd. But God prepared a, a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd. That it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God did prepare a vehement heat, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted, and wished, that he himself, wished in himself to die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And God said unto Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Most people who talk to God in the Bible are really afraid. A lot of people who do, when God shows up, Usually people say something like, I'm a dead man. Or, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But we have Jonah here boldly saying, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Or Cain's sarcasm, uh, uh, am I my brother's keeper? 
Anger against God will, will cause a bitterness that's hard to wipe away. One more, uh, one more section of scripture. John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest unto him. And I'll skip down. And when he had, uh, verse 6, And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of uh, Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So we know from Scripture that this man wasn't blind because of his sin or the, the sin of his parents. Uh, God was going to plan to do a great work. This man was going to be healed. But think about it for a second. He was born blind, and he wasn't a boy. He was a man when he was healed. That means there was a period, a long period of time, where he was blind. He couldn't play with other kids when he was little. He couldn't lead about a wife or a family. He couldn't provide for them. He was a beggar. Uh, how would you feel if God did the same thing to us, to me or you? A lot of times we have an idea of what we're going to do for God. Uh, we might want to teach a class or become a pastor or we might uh, want to become, uh, get involved in church music, whatever. But what if God's plan is different? What if God came down and said, you know what, the best thing for way for you to serve me is in a hospital bed for 20 years? How would we react to that? Is our heart soft enough to do something like that? But if God said, uh, you know what? The best place for you is to go to the mission field, and then you're going to wind up in a foreign jail through no fault of your own, and you're going to be there a while. Things have happened like that. Would we still serve God? Would we get angry and bitter? Sometimes uh, we don't understand right away why God does things. Sometimes we, we learn about it years later. Sometimes it'll take till uh, we go home to glory. God sees the end from the beginning. And he's working everything out in a just way. It may not seem like it at the time, uh, but our perception is limited. God sees and knows everything. He can see the big picture. When finally... When God finally talks to Job in chapter 40, he says, Wilt thou disannul my judgment? Would thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Every time we get mad at God, we're basically saying we know more than he does. That's right. We're basically saying that uh, we have a better idea 
or a better knowledge of good and evil than he does. And uh, I'm going to close with this. Whatever we're tempted to think that our life is bad or we're going through a difficult situation, we're tempted to get mad at God. Think about the life that Jesus Christ lived. In Luke chapter 2, he's born in a manger with animals. Also in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says he was subject to his parents, the maker of the universe, subject to two sinners. Somewhere along the line, it seems like he, he might have lost Joseph. We don't really know. We know Joseph was a just man, but uh, he might have died or um, uh, he wasn't on the scene later on, it appears. So it could very well be that he grew up without a stepdad. Matthew 4, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, was tempted of the devil. In John chapter 7, he was rejected by his brethren. In John chapter 11, Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. He was rejected by the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisee, the very people who should have adored him and loved him. In Luke 17, he healed ten lepers and only one came back to thank him. When he uh, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his closest friends, his closest disciples couldn't stay up to pray with him. One of his closest disciples denied that he knew him. He was rejected by the nation when they, they cried out, We have no king but Caesar. And, of course, we know he was beaten, mocked, whipped, and nailed to the cross. Matthew 27, they made fun of him, told him to come down from the cross. And at the very end, after serving the Father to perfection, not one sin, the very end, the very Father who he loved had to turn his back on him. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ had to become sin for us. The Father wasn't about to look on sin. Why did Jesus go through it? The Bible says in Hebrews, uh, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, not in this life, not in the present, before him in the future. Now, where is Jesus Christ now? It's in heaven, right? He's being adored by the angels. He's going to come back, reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Uh, he's going to be worshipped and praised forever. Amen. You see a, a contrast between the life they lived here and the way it is now and the way it's going to be. It's the same for us. Our life, our life is but a vapor. And whatever we're going through is just a drop of time in an ocean of eternity. Romans chapter 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have those promises from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious promises, God. And uh, I pray, 
you'd help us as we leave tonight. Uh, give us a safe trip home and, and uh, pray bless the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue. Their heads bowed nice close. What a powerful sermon. If you uh, are even holding a smidgen of a grudge against God, boy, it's time to let that go. It's time to let that go. That bitterness will corrode your soul, ruin your life. Would you say that your life has been harder than Joseph's? Or David as he was chased through the desert, the wilderness? Would you say your life was tougher than Job's? He lost his ten of his children. And how about Jesus who went through everything just described? These men won in the end because they did not get angry at God. They turned their sorrow into sympathy. Their pain into relatability. We hold anger against God. It ruins our lives. It's time to look deep and ask ourselves this question. God, do I have anything? Am I holding anything against you? How about it tonight? Will you let go of it and see that God is trying to work a work in you? Mike made a statement there toward the beginning of the sermon. It's fun studying the fun parts of Jesus' life, but boy, being on the potter's will... That's not always easy. Are you willing to let Him put you on the potter's will? No matter what that means. Let Him work a work in you that will be beautiful. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. The piano is playing. The altar is open. Christian, you're encouraged to come and kneel and talk to the Lord.